Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome everyone to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. So if you're a beginning entrepreneur, this episode is certainly for you. We have with us Mr. Caleb Johnson. And since the age of 18, in that short amount of time, he's accumulated over 86 units along with 12,000 square feet of retail. Blessed to have acquired over $9 million worth of real estate before age of 25 along with founding from Trial to Triumph podcast, he's interviewed notable guests who are leaders in their own fields as well. His mission is to be a faith-based professional committed to investors and building relationships. So let's give Caleb a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. I can hear the demons call when they do what they do. And now I feel like taking off, find a place with a view. The pain is never gonna stop if it's controlling you. I know the time can heal it all. So Caleb, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well, Donald. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So great to have you on. So um, before we jump in, why don't you um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your uh, background? Yeah, my name is Caleb Johnson. I uh, started my first business when I was 18 years old and started investing in real estate when I was 19. And I've been investing for the last six years. And uh, today I've been blessed to acquire $12 million of uh, real estate. Okay, awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, you said you had your first business when you were 18. I think most of us when we're 18, um, you know, we have that drilled into us, go to college, you know, start our college career, start preparing for our job. So so what, what put you on the road to entrepreneurism and starting out so young? You know, that was my parents and not because they were wealthy by any means, but they were actually the complete opposite. Um, I, they both had day jobs and I saw the life that they had and I knew I didn't want that for myself. And I really got shown that when my mom had surgery and so her plan was to take off work for about three months and heal and recover. And then she would live off of her savings during that time. But Donald, she got to the, the three month mark, but she wasn't healed all the way. And so she got to this stage where she either needed to decide to go back to work and make money or stay home and recover properly, but prolong retirement by a couple of years. And so she decided to go back to work because she didn't have any income coming in. And I would just see her come home in tears, crying because she was in literally so much pain. And that really moved me to want to help her retire early. And at the same time, I saw that I didn't want that for myself. I didn't want to have to go to a job. And when I was 60 years old, something unforeseen happening to me where I'd be forced to go back to work or just a job having control over me like that didn't appeal to me. So, and then I learned that 90% of millionaires got their millions through real estate. I thought that was crazy good odds. And if I wanted to be in that percentile that I should start investing in real estate. Okay. Awesome. And um, so what was your first business that you, you started at 18? At 18, I, I joined a multi-level marketing company and it's technically your own business. Um, and so um, 
I joined Amway and you have your own mm-hmm. product line and trying to sign up people and help them start their own business. And that was my first one. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people hear MLM and they think it's kind of a negative connotation, but uh, I think most entrepreneurs, especially successful ones that tell you, if you want to learn how to sell, which is the number one foundation to be an entrepreneur, MLM marketing is one of the best ways to get your foot in learning sales. That's right. That's right. And yeah, I really learned that when I was 18 years old and going to malls to try to meet people. And I just think how awkward I was 18 years old, very antisocial through high school. Now I'm trying to sell people and just meet people. And it was very uncomfortable, but I'm really grateful for that time because I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, getting out of your comfort zone is the number one thing to to growth, right? So as long as you're comfortable and doing things you're comfortable with, you're never going to level up or get to that next level. That's right. All right. So let's talk about your um, your first investment. What, what was your first investment that you were able to get under contract and close? My first investment was a fourplex and it was a house hack strategy, which is really you buy a, a single family residence or a small apartment. So two to four units, you live in one unit and you rent out the other however many units. So for me, it was a fourplex. I rented out the other three. That was in a C minus neighborhood. So probably on the lower scale of uh, of class of neighborhood, some more crime. One of my residents uh, was a drug dealer. The other one was a hoarder. And so I got a ton of great experience, you know, uh, painting walls at two in the morning. And there's so much nicotine that it's dripping off of the walls. Uh, mice, roaches really got my hands dirty there and, and learned what I was good at. And what I wasn't good at and what, if I really wanted the most ROI on my time, then I should be doing these certain things. Okay. So drilling down a little bit more on that. So is that where you see leveraging other people's time to do things that you're, you're not good at enabling you to scale? That's right. Like with my, the first unit that I renovated, it was a value add play. So I was going to buy this property, renovate the units, and then I could increase rents. So the first property that was a hoarder or the unit that I uh, evicted or kicked them out, didn't didn't sign their lease again. And it took me about two months to renovate and about $77,000. And then the unit that was next was the drug dealer. And we had to evict him and that unit, I hired someone else because I learned with the other property, I had enough blood, sweat, and tears in that one. So it took this other person that I hired two weeks and $7,500. And I thought, you know, if I just, I'm saving money on the vacancy, if I just hire someone else to do it and rent the unit quicker. And so really learned leveraging other people's time and just paying someone else to do what they're good at so I can do what I'm good at. Okay. And I, and I know you're talking about, um, so you're talking about the drug dealer and the hoarder and these situations, and you're kind of talking about it at a, a general level, but it's, I mean, I'm sure those are trying situations to get through. What, what kind of mindset did you have to have to get through those and continue to, push on because a lot of people are like, oh, this is so hard. And maybe 
especially you're 18 at the time, right? So this is so hard. Maybe I should just get a regular job. I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. This is just so trite. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I did have my day job while I was doing this as well. And I remember, yeah, Kilsing, um, the unit that had so much nicotine and smoke. And I remember sometimes growing my business that it's 9am and I'm working overtime at my job and I'm crying and I'm thinking, is this ever going to actually pay off? Is what I'm doing going to work? And you have family, usually family is your biggest adversary uh, from my experience, at least where they, they know who you are and your background and they just want the best for you. And so they'll try to protect you, quote unquote, protect you. But ultimately it's hampering to you if they say, Caleb, you should just get a job, man. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're slaving away at this and it's not, it's not coming uh, into fruition. Just get a job and be happy. But ultimately <laughs> that's not what's going to make me happy. Right. right. So um, that can be, that's one of the challenges uh, that I think entrepreneurs face, especially starting off. Yeah, definitely. From family and friends, they, they want what's best for you and they, they think they know what's best for you, but like you said, and happy is, I mean, I think that's, yeah, that word happy has a funny connotation, right? I mean, the definition of happy, what, what makes it happy. At the end of the day, happiness comes from within. So I know, like we say, we, we all know plenty of people with nine to fives, even making high incomes that still aren't necessarily happy. So I think, I mean, right. yeah, so I think that's going to come from within regardless. But in yeah. the meantime, I mean, having a nine to five, like you said, your goals, you saw what your mom went through and you know what you want for yourself as far as freedom, financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom, right? And those things That's where you right. can, and now, now you're probably at a point where you can, you can choose who you want to work with, where you want to work, where you want to buy your investments and how you spend your time, which, which is the real freedom and where happiness can derive from. That's right. That's right. The more you learn and educate yourself, the more opportunities and maybe the blinders come off, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you can really get more creative as well. And I know and you're in Phoenix. So I know there's a pretty intense and heavy real estate scene there. How, how are you networking? How much of a, how much of a effect does your network have on your on your growth? Starting off, it was huge, you know, being 19 years old, not having any money, any resources. That's how I grew to where I am today was through networking. The first resource that I leveraged was Bigger Pockets, which is like Facebook for real estate investors. And they have a, a great podcast on there, which I learned the term house hacking and other strategies to invest. But you can network on there and going to other local real estate meetups was very instrumental. And when you meet people face-to-face, that's a different relationship compared to meeting someone online. Not that meeting someone online isn't valuable by any means. I've definitely met plenty of great people and partners that I've never actually met in person before. But those relationships that I've developed in person I still get coffee with those people regularly and um, it's really just uh, bolster my growth. Okay. And um, 
So talk about some of the deals you've um, done since getting started. So we've closed a 16-unit apartment in Oklahoma City, uh, 40 units, so totaling two properties in Las Cruces, New Mexico, a 30-unit in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a 17,000-square-foot facility in Casa Grande, Arizona. And that's really in the Southwest. You know, that's where our portfolio is today. But we're also expanding into the Southeast. That's including Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. Okay, yeah, and I'm noticing in the states that you're um, that you're doing deals. And is there any reason that you're choosing those states as opposed to others like California or New York mm-hmm. or Illinois? Yeah, well, New Mexico is actually a blue state, and mm-hmm. we're experiencing challenges there because I think that's part of the reason. Just with housing authorities uh, subsidy and just some of the challenges that we're experiencing there. But Arizona is very landlord friendly, very mm-hmm. favorable insurance, taxes, and Oklahoma as well, landlord friendly mm-hmm. yeah. and more cash flow markets compared to mm-hmm. markets like California or New York. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, I've done deals in Oklahoma as well. So I know they're very landlord friendly and I try not to, I, I try not to get into the politics of it, but, at the end of the day, some states are landlord friendly, some are not, right? So we try to operate in those those that are landlord friendly. So um what what criteria are you using when you um choose to approach choose the deals that you're you're gonna attempt to um take down? What criteria or approach are you you looking at? We pursue properties that are fifty plus units and they have a value add component in B to C class neighborhoods. We don't want to be in really really expensive markets uh, Mm -hmm. like urban core or um, I'm in Phoenix. So Scottsdale, Arizona is probably the prime market. Prices are higher and everyone wants to move there. But if we can invest in locations that are just outside of that market, we get a discount on the price, but people still want to live there uh, as long as the neighborhood's safe. And generally the properties that we acquire are 70s vintage or newer. We're not we're not scared of 60s or 50s product, just there's more deferred maintenance the older the property is. And boilers are ch- and chillers are, um, if your listeners don't know, it's really like HVAC um, units, and but there's, they're just very large. And so you might have one boiler for 100 units and one chiller for 100 units. And we're not scared of properties like that. Uh, they just require a little bit of expertise and knowing how those properties function. Absolutely. Okay. And um, what would you recommend or what, what advice would you have for someone looking to scale up to multifamily, but have never done so before? I would say educate yourself as much as you can through free content. Like I did with, bigger pockets. There are so many podcasts out there that uh, talk about that, you know, your show being one of them. And I think for me, starting off, surrounding myself with someone else that was doing what I wanted, they had what I wanted. And so if I can find someone that has what I wanted, if I just do what they do, then I'm going to 
most likely see the same results. So surrounding yourself with others to really get the proof of concept was really um, inspirational as well. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, and, and speaking on that, so mentorship, how, how, how big of a role has that played in your, your growth and that trajectory? I mean, you just spoke on that, of course, but uh, like you said, you're, you're learning from them and not only, not only their successes, right, but you can learn from their mistakes and avoid some of those same mistakes, which can, can be costly, right, especially doing deals such as these. I mean, one mistake can cost you anywhere from seventy five up to $500,000, right? Just a simple mistake. So learning from those mistakes, how, how important is that for you as far as mentorship? That's very important. When I, when I first started off, before I bought my first property, a, uh, I knew I needed to have some mentorship in my life, just being able to have someone in my corner that I could add value to. And they could, like you said, Donald, say me lots of capital and sweat and blood, sweat and tears in the future. So I knew I wanted someone in my corner. And it just so happened this gentleman walked to my uh, restaurant that I was working at. And he gave, um, long story short, he gave us a, a couple business cards. I knew he was a real estate agent, but he also owned a couple rentals. Mm -hmm. And I knew, okay, if I can just get to know this guy, maybe pick his brain a little bit, he can probably save me some pain in the future. And I sat on his business card for about two months. I called him up and finally, and I said, Hey, Gilbert, uh, you came into my restaurant a little while ago and I want to invest in real estate. I'll clean your toilets at 2 a.m. I don't care. I just want to, I'll work for you for free. Just teach me what you know. And he kind of chuckled at that and he said, Go ahead and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad six times, which is a, a an entrepreneurship book. And I read that six times. I came back to him and he said, okay, read Cashflow Quadrant, which is another book written by Robert Kiyosaki. And he said, read that one six times and then call me back. I did that again. And so I think we did that one more time with a, a YouTube video. And finally he said, okay, Caleb, I, I trust you. And I think you're, you're serious. And the reason he was putting me through the ringer was to make sure that I was serious about pursuing this because so many people, they, they see the returns and they see the potential of investing. And so they, they're, they're hot and heavy getting into it for three months, but then they, they decide to quit. Right. So that, and then that translated also into commercial real estate. My, my first mentor was a partner of mine. And so I leveraged his expertise in underwriting. He had been doing it for 18 months. So if I knew that I could work with him closely, that he could teach me that, and that would save me in um, capital that I would need to invest in a mentorship. And if I could just bring him uh, a deal that he could teach me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that mentorship is so crucial because a lot of people don't realize entrepreneurship is a, it's a lonely road, right? I mean, cause like you said, you have your friends and family while they want the best for you, but it, I mean, you constantly hear, are you sure you want to do this? This is probably not going to work out. So it's it's a very lonely road. So if you don't have that mentorship and a network and inner circle that you can talk to and relate to, it's it's a very lonely road. So, yeah, that I mean, I just really I would say that for anybody that mentorship and inner circle around you is so crucial. It is. 
And the people, I think the, if you have four friends that are smokers, you're going to be number five. And so surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs that are on that journey is also very, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned, the gentleman you spoke and you said you wanted what he has kind of like, yeah, the people closest around you, you're going to want to emulate. So if you're, you know, your four closest friends, if they're, they're working at Wendy's and smoking weed every weekend, I mean, that's basically pretty much probably going to be you as well. So surrounding yourself with the people you want to emulate is so crucial, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And it can be hard to maybe put some of those people out of your life, but if you don't, then you'll be where you'll be at the same place in five years than you are today or somewhere else. You know, I know, I know people that have been on the complete opposite side where they've hung out with people that are in gangs and, uh, uh, drugs, and now they're in prison because of those people that they hung out with. Right. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. So talk about, um, talk about your podcast a little, tell me up a little bit about your podcast and what you're working on there. Yeah, our podcast is called From Trial to Triumph, and I interview people who have gone through tremendous trials and they've come out triumphant. We've had uh, real estate investors on there, um, people that specialize in public speaking. We've had some really cool stories as well, you know, just people that have overcome uh, adversity. Like one story comes to mind where he uh, was in Iraq uh, in the military and had an explosion, uh, explosive device blow up directed at his face, which caused him to be blinded in death. But today yeah. he's running ultra marathons. And wow. it's, yeah, it's kind of inspiring to, for me, at least, to hear stories like that. And I, I can ask myself, well, what am I doing after listening yeah. after listening to something like that? So yeah, we, we interview people. We want to interview people uh, like that and provide that content for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who can't be inspired by that, right? I mean, you hear stories like that. Like, what do you have to complain about when you hear a story like that? So yeah, definitely. That sounds awesome. So where can they find that podcast? Is that on is that on pretty much all the all the podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Or they can also check it out at redseacapitalgroup.com backslash listen. Uh, otherwise, we are on about 15 other platforms. Okay. All right. And um, so, again, I mean, I, I really like that you started so young with this. I mean, you're pretty much out the gate right out of high school. So talk more about some of the challenges that you experienced and, and what made you push through and keep going. Well, I think for me through the hard times, remembering what my why is, I remember wanting to stay motivated. And my why starting off was my mom and helping her retire. And I, I remember, I think I, I dated this card two years in the future. And it was the Christmas card that said, Hey mom, this is your retirement check. And um, so things, just little things like that. And I've heard it, I think by E.T. Fletcher is his name, a big motivational speaker. And he said, it's, it's those little things that are going to compound over time. You don't need to have one really big change in your life. Now, some people do, but at the same time, if you just tweak little things and over time that will compound into defining who you are in the future. 
and really shaping who you are. So I, I think that's some, something that I've had to use to motivate me. And additionally, another struggle has been my age being younger, trying to raise capital at a younger age, uh, has become more challenging than I thought, Mm -hmm. which I look at as an opportunity and as a blessing because that's opened other doors for me to help other people that are in the same boat. So that's also been motivating to uh, truly show other people that because I'm younger doesn't mean that you can take advantage of me or that I'm not credible. Hmm. So something I can do to, to do that, let's say if I'm raising capital for a property, then I can leverage a partner's experience of mine and say, hey, this person, Mike, who's had this much experience, he's closed on this many transactions, he's in on the deal and he's my partner. And so you're not just leveraging my experience, but I can leverage my partner, Mike's experience to close that investor and actually help them get across the finish line. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can definitely see the age being a challenge because I mean, real estate in general probably is an older white male's game, right? Probably 55 plus game. So, but again, like you said, I mean, that youth is an opportunity as well. And as long as you can see those opportunities, you can excel. So that's awesome. You can recognize that. So during this during this shift in market, how are you um, how are you tweaking your approach to analyzing and looking at deals? Because one thing I've noticed, well, I mean, at this point, I I was thinking like, I say third quarter last year, I was saying, okay, there's going to be a lot of opportunities, a lot of distressed deals by third quarter 2023. But I'm seeing a lot of sellers still holding on, asking for prices that just don't jive with where the economy is now and where the market is now. So how how are you tweaking your approach to analyzing and underwriting deals? I'd say there's two things. And the first being is that we've pivoted investing in certain markets. So Phoenix, I'm not investing in currently. I'm still developing broker relationships (laughs) and seller relationships so that when there is more blood in the water, and prices do come down that we already have those relationships, those relationships. And we aren't investing in markets like DFW um, or Florida. You know, those, those are really the big hot topic markets. Mm-hmm. And so we've pivoted to other markets that are um, more up and coming. Mm-hmm. So Alabama is a really good market. Alabama we like because there's forecasted population growth and it's also a union free state. So that's why we see tons of employers moving to that market. Georgia is a really great market, South Carolina as well. And so, and an interesting statistic about Dallas is that I read a a report that from CBRE that there's over 760,000 units coming online in the next two years. Now that's important because last year, the units that were brought online were about 80,000 to 100,000. And so for 760,000 units to come online in the next two years is really going to influence that market. Now, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know the future, but that's just a red flag for me at least. And 
The second thing, Donald, is actually that we're seeing, I'm seeing at least a pivot in the market already. And this being early July, I just looked at a property that was in Oklahoma, uh, over 200 units. They bought it in 2021 for 15 million. And now their whisper price, so what they're selling it for is 13.5. So they're already willing to take a haircut, which mm. I never want to see blood in the water, right? But at the same time, that's opportunity for people like you yeah. and I yeah. that are looking to buy those assets. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, those people that bought in 2021 and you see those bridge loans coming due, that's where the distress factor is going to be. So, yeah, like you said, that's where the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Okay. So yeah, before we hop off, why don't, why don't we get you in the lightning round to see a little bit more about um, what drives you and what makes you tick? Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned a couple of books, but um, what are, what is one or two other books that have given you the most um, insight and influenced you the most in your life? I'd say, you know, we talked about sales a little bit earlier, and Ziegler, Zig Ziglar has a great book, uh, Secrets to Closing a Sale. And uh, I think Bill Stacy has another, or Bill Tracy has another great book on sales. So as entrepreneurs, I think it's very important that we develop our sales techniques mm-hmm. because if you're not selling in your business, you're selling at home to your wife, to your kids, to your job. So knowing those tools is very key. Okay. And how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? One failure is we were, we had a PSA for a a 160 unit property and we were working on it for about a month. And a month through one of my partners found an error in my spreadsheet that required us to go back to the seller for a $1 million discount. And so I never want that to happen. Now, because of that, I've learned to have my partners more involved earlier on so that something like that doesn't happen again. Okay, awesome. And Caleb, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Man, Donald, that's a great question. Could be anything, one word, three words. I would say, well, one word would be Jesus. Another a, a phrase might be where, when you die, where do you think you're going to go? Very good. Okay. And um, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I think having um, a counselor, uh, a mentor in my life that can help me develop uh, personally, and at the same time, they have skills in the in the sales world or business world that they can also aid me in that realm has uh, been tremendous for me. So having someone in your life that can teach you why you are who you are. Awesome. And Kayla, what have you become better at saying no to with all the distractions, invitations, et cetera, that you get, email, friends, offering to go places, events? What have you become better at saying no to? I'd say 
probably no to time wasters. Uh, not so much, probably more people on the business front. If people are not serious or they're wasting your time, then be okay and you can be upfront with them. Um, but I'd say time wasters. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So, Caleb, before we hop off, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, reach out, collaborate, learn more about you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'd say the best way is at redseacapitalgroup.com, and you actually have direct access to my calendar there. Um, or you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. All right. Awesome. And, and again, where can they find your podcast One more, once more? We are on 15 different sites, uh, including YouTube. Uh, it's called From Trial to Triumph. And you can also find us at redseacapitalgroup.com backslash listen. All right. Awesome. All right, Caleb, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been very informative. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this. So um, look forward to having you back on in a few months to see where you are. I appreciate it, Donald. Thank All right. You. Take care, friend. Talk soon. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves. <laughs> <laughs>